Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. By far the most helpful class I took at Homewood High School in the late 1970s was typing. Little did I know that most of the work that I would do would be on a computer a short decade later. In typing class, we used the IBM Selectric Typewriter, which was an awesome machine. Earlier typewriters had letters on individual type bars that swung up to strike the ribbon. It was almost like a panicked spider was trying to claw its way out of the machine. The Selectric featured a type ball with all the letters on that one ball, and it would spin and strike the paper as it glides across the roller, typing your words. The IBM Selectric would capture 75% of the market before personal computers would make the typewriter irrelevant. In high school, we were taught how to touch type, where each finger has its own area on the keyboard. We were taught the home position, with left-hand fingers on A, S, D, and F. Right hand would be on the J, K, L, and the semicolon. Both thumbs would be used to move the spacebar. Now, have you noticed the raised part of the F and J keys on your keyboard? It's so touch typers will know by feel when they are on the correct keys. Now, typing classes turned into keyboarding, and it was taught to my children in middle school. I'm not sure if they learned to touch type, but my son is a whiz at the hunt and peck method and using his thumbs on his mobile phone. I can't type unless the keyboard is right in front of me and my posture is correct. Now, I write left-handed, and I can only describe my handwriting style as a monkey with a crayon. It's not pretty and can be uncomfortable over time. When writing, left-handers push the pen across the page, whereas right-handers pull the pen across the page, and that makes a big difference. In school, my palm was coated with graphite after a big day of writing with a pencil. Over the centuries, others must have struggled with this problem as well. Not that they are left-handed, but they probably realized it would make their life easier to have a mechanical way to write. The earliest known typing instrument goes back as far as the 16th century, and as business grew in the 19th century, the need for a typewriter type device was apparent. Historians have estimated that some form of the typewriter has been invented at least 52 times, and one of those was by John Pratt of Alabama. John Pratt was born in Union, South Carolina on April 14, 1831, and he moved to Alabama with his father's family as a young man. He married, practiced law, was a reporter, and he taught school. Later, he was part owner and editor of the paper in Center, Alabama. As a writer, lawyer, and teacher, he spent a lot of time writing. He was writing with the tools of the time, pen and ink. And during his time as a registrar, he suffered from hand cramps. I can only imagine that Pratt dreamed of a way to write more comfortably. Not only did he start to dream about just such a machine, but he also put that dream into action. He got together with a local printer named John Neely, who fashioned some type he thought would work. Pratt put together the machine, and by 1860, he was routinely using it for correspondence, in court, and for writing editorials. He wanted to develop his machine further, but he could see that war was coming to Alabama. He sold his possessions and moved to England to further develop his typewriter. 
On December 1, 1866, Pratt received a British patent for a writing machine called a Terriotype. He exhibited his typewriter before the Society of Arts, the Society of Engineers in London, and the Royal Society of Great Britain. At that time, it was the most complete and practical typewriter that had been developed. The Royal British Scientific Society printed an account of the machine, which was reprinted in the July 6, 1867 issue of Scientific American Magazine. In the article titled, Typewriting Machine, the article begins, A machine by which it is assumed that a man may print his thoughts twice as fast as he can write them, and with the advantage of the legibility, compactness, and neatness of print, has lately been exhibited before the London Society of Arts by the inventor, Mr. Pratt of Alabama. Pratt was able to sell his typewriter in London, and because of the success, he moved back to the United States in 1868 and received a U.S. patent that same year. In 1866, Christopher Scholes of Milwaukee designed a machine that printed page numbers in books, serial numbers on tickets, and anything else that needed a number. A friend and fellow inventor, Carlos Glidden, had read the article in Scientific American about Pratt's stereotype, and he thought the machine was too complicated but could be improved. Glidden asked Scholes about his printer. If numbers, why not letters? An editorial in the same issue of Scientific America probably helped motivate Christopher Scholes by pointing out the great benefit to mankind with such a machine would confer, as well as the fortune that awaited the successful inventor. Scholes and his partners would develop the Remington typewriter, which is the closest to what we know as the modern typewriter with the QWERTY keyboard. The first Remington typewriter was sold in 1874. Pratt continued to invent. He obtained a second patent for a type wheel, which he sold to James Hammond in 1882, becoming part of the Hammond typewriter. In the 1890s, he became the superintendent of the Hammond Typewriting Company of New York. In 1902, he moved to Chattanooga to be closer to his sisters, and he died there in 1905. He's buried at Pratt Memorial Park, which is close to Center, Alabama. Now, if you want to see Pratt's stereotype, one surviving machine is on exhibit at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, England. Now, John Pratt may not have invented the typewriter as you and I know it, but that's okay. I like what one published article said. If Scholes is called the father of the typewriter, then Pratt may justly be called the grandfather. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Alabama Short Stories. If you enjoyed the story, there are a couple of ways you can help the podcast. The first is to tell a friend about the podcast. The second is to buy some merchandise from our store or donate to the podcast. You can find links at alabamashortstories.com. You can listen to the podcast on the website or wherever you prefer to listen and subscribe to podcasts. See you next time at Alabama Short Stories.